Welcome to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. I'm delighted that we are playing Wagner's The Flying Dutchman, Der Fliegende Holländer. I'm your host, Pat Wright. And I'm Greg. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us for this fabulous Wagner opera. I love pirates. The Flying Dutchman, second most famous pirate ship of all time. I suppose that's true. He does After have the Black a... Pearl. <laughs> well... That's famous in modern times. Well, so is the Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman is in Dead Man's Chest with Johnny Depp. Super famous. It's in SpongeBob. It's wait in The Simpsons. Explain. It's a it's a cultural motif. The Flying Dutchman. It's a meme now. It's a meme. Yeah. Would you explain that? <laughs> <laughs> how how is besides does the Dutchman actually fly? <laughs> Well, that's a great question. Thank you. It doesn't propel itself through the air, mm-hmm. but it flies in the sense of go. it goes really fast. It probably seemed to fly to people in the pre-airplane era. Well, there was a legendary sea captain who was believed to be in league with the devil because he made his runs so quickly. And that's where we think we get to this concept of the Dutchman flying. Because the Dutch, at a certain point in history, the Dutch were the preeminent traders. They had more ships than Portugal, England, Spain, Germany, and France combined. I know, it's kind of an amazing thought, isn't it? Yes. It's a small country, but they were a seafaring nation. Yes. But this isn't really a show about the history of Dutch trading. What's this show about? The show is about... Well, there's multiple ways to answer the question. Okay, we'll pick one. Just one. A lot of people would think of this show as about the development of Wagner as a composer. Yeah. Yeah, they say that this is... Others would think it is a show about pirates. <laughs> well, you know, pick pick what you want. I hear a storm raging in the background. Should we listen to a little bit more of the storm and then yes. talk more about Let's the story? Yes, let's listen to some more of the storm. Okay. Thank you. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and we've been listening to the overture to Der Fliegende Holländer by Richard Wagner. I'm your host, Pat Wright. And I'm Greg. Greg, that's a, that's a sea storm. Absolutely. Is there going to be a shipwreck? There's not going to be a shipwreck. Okay. They make it safely to port. But there's going to be intrigue. Yes. Hmm. Pirates. Pirates. Are the pirates threatening? Pirates are very threatening. There is nothing more ominous for sailors at sea than to see the Flying Dutchman, the ghost ship, with its blood-red sails. Blood-red sails. Yes. That's That would shiver my timbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a story which, which well predates Wagner. The story that. of the Flying Dutchman, the story of this wanderer who came in and out of the mist and frightened the sailors at sea. I don't know if there have been any 21st century sightings, but sightings of the Flying Dutchman continued well into the 20th century. Really? That part I didn't know. I knew that was a legend that, that certainly was in the 18th century, or 17th century, as well as the 18th century. Right, a lot of, uh, a lot of sightings. I mean, King George V, as a, as a boy, yeah. uh, saw the Flying Dutchman. Oh, wow. Well, you know, you can see a lot of things when you're out at sea. Well, the, uh, the spoil sports believe that it's a refractive index atmospheric phenomenon, that they're actually seeing a ship that's just over the horizon. Refract what? <laughs> 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 but I, I think it's actually pirates. Well, one of the... Wasn't one of the subtitles of this a romantic opera in three acts? Well, that's a really good segue. Thank you. This is an interesting opera because it's something of a crossover. In many ways, it is an Italian opera, and in many ways, it's a proto-Wagnerian opera. Proto-Wagnerian by Wagner himself. Yeah. Well, I actually came up with this little quote from Wagner writing about it later on when he was writing about, not much later on. By the way, just for those of you who like these sort of things, this premiered in 1843 in Dresden, and although although he was in Paris when he wrote it. And it's interesting because it's his earliest work that is still in repertoire. Yeah, that's, that's true. He was tw- uh, 26 when he uh, had the ship uh, voyage, and 28 when he wrote it. Do you know the story behind his sea voyage, his perilous sea voyage? The, the uh, frantic escape from the creditors? Yes. he. he <laughs> Uh, Wagner, I mean, this won't surprise anyone who knows anything at all about Wagner. Wagner always thought very highly of himself. He was a capable man. He and was an egomaniac. Yeah, that's another way to put it. He, and, a, and a horrible man, we should just say that. Yeah, that's, we yes. need to say that. Yeah. He was a terrible person. Yeah. He was a yeah. capable artist and a terrible person. Yeah. Uh, and he thought highly of himself, and he and his wife lived well beyond their means. And he, at the time when the creditors were really threatening him, he was a conductor in Latvia. And the pressure was too great, and they needed to escape, but their passports had been confiscated because they owed too much money. And they escaped, and part of the escape included a sea voyage to London 
and they were on their way to Paris and it was perilous and part of that experience is what gave him the inspiration for a lot of the emotion and the feeling of the perilous sea voyage and, and part of what we just heard. I thought that was kind of fun. But part one of the little things I dug up with a little bit of my research was when he was writing about the Dutchman, he said, from here begins my career as a poet and my farewell to the mere concocter of opera texts. So he's really seeing this as, a, just as we recognize it as a transitional, as the, as the opera that marks the transition of his craft. He saw it that way as well. So can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, how would you say that this is non-Wagnerian, and how would you say that it's Wagnerian? Well, in it, you hear a little bit of blending. One of the characters in it, I believe, we'll meet a little bit later on, the father character, comes across more like a character from a more traditional Italian-style opera. Even his style of singing, to my ear, sounds like more of a traditional Italian-style opera. But... The Dutchman himself, this mysterious man who's got this heavy curse laid on him. We'll tell more of the story as we go along. He's hits me as flat-on Wagnerian. He's got all of this deep emotion, and and he's he has he and his ship have these light motifs. Maybe you want to just remind us what a light motif is. Leitmotif is a, a brief musical passage that's associated with an idea. You know, there's the, the curse in Rigoletto has a, has a leitmotif. Right. Uh, that, Rigoletto, of course, being Verdi. Yes. Roughly the same time period, by the way. What Wagner's doing here, though, is is not that different from what Verdi did in Rigoletto. There right. are certain musical themes. They do not intertwine, and they do not develop. At some point, we're going to take on the challenge of the ring cycle right. and the broadcast. And there, what's fascinating is that the themes develop as the characters develop, as the ideas behind the themes develop, right. and the themes are all intertwined. So it's much more is calling cards here. Uh, there are a half dozen important themes. We heard them all introduced in the overture. Right. Uh, there's a theme for the sea. There's a theme for the sailors. There's the theme for uh, redemption. It's interesting that to see the transition from picking up this idea of the of the leitmotif and the way that it uh, developed over the remainder of course of his career where oftentimes the leitmotifs actually convey information to the audience that the characters themselves do not know at that point in the story and certainly don't tell us explicitly yeah yeah and there's a certain the music has doesn't really help to say this but that that powerful wagnerian quality the use of the horns is not used the way other composers use it. Right, the overture is a, is a very famous piece of music. People who think they've never heard this opera have, have all heard uh, those those themes mm-hmm. because they are so powerful and so elemental. One of the things he does in his overtures is he does evoke this, the power and majesty of natural forces, which we're certainly hearing here. It's quite narrative. You know, you can hear the swells of the storm. You can hear the sailors. You can hear the seas. You can hear the echoes off of fjords. All, all of these passages, and the light motifs here don't require a lot of explication. Uh, the redemption motif is, is introduced with harps. Right. It's, it's in, intuitive what he's doing there. Yeah, yeah, and and as a little bit of a um, a runway and practicing some of the ideas that come to maturity in the ring. The character, the, the lead female character here, Senta, some will say a lot of 
her qualities are qualities that you see developed more fully in Brunhilde in the Ring Cycle. Yes, well, the, his theme over time was redemption through through women, through the sacrifice of a, of a woman. Right, and it's pretty explicit in the plot of The Dutchman, which we will, I promise which everyone, we will, we will get, get to, to explaining. <laughs> and a, an interesting historical footnote is that Senta was originally called Mina in which is his wife's name, everyone. So Wagner's first wife was Mina, and Senta is the lead female character in Flying Dutchman. And so as we go through the story, his casting of his wife as the lead character in this might mean that he loved her very much, and it, it might mean something else. It might mean he was very frustrated with her retirement from her acting career and their plunge into debt and their forced escape and their near shipwreck. Well, that was a component of their debt. That, yeah, she was a very successful in her acting career, and her retirement was a piece of that. We should listen to some more music. Let's do. Sturm aus Ferne
listening to Opera for Everyone. This is Der Fliegender Holländer, the Flying Dutchman. And who You're is Pat that? Wright, and I'm Greg, and this yeah. is our special pirate show. Pirate radio. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. And who is that singing? That is uh, the captain of the ship, Dolland, and the steersman have been in conversation. Mm-hmm. And Dolland has gone to sleep, leaving the steersman in charge. All the other sailors are asleep below decks. And to keep himself awake, the steersman sings a sea shanty about how he's been at sea and he's coming home and he's brought gifts for his girl. Lovely. That keeps him awake, huh? And that keeps him awake. Although he's about to drift off. Mm. And while he drifts off, there's one of the great moments in opera where the pirate ship, the Flying Dutchman, with the blood red sails, sails, black ship, silently appears out of the fog right next to their ship. And, uh, And he wakes up and he looks around and he sees nothing. Nothing to be concerned about. And he falls back asleep. And snuggles back down. (laughs) And so what happens next is the introduction of the Dutchman. Oh, great. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, this timeless, pale figure in the storm-tossed seas, the pawn of the devil. Right. Well, it is based, I think, on the story of an actual Dutch mariner who was trying to round the Cape of Good Hope. The story I heard anyway is he said, I'll do anything to be able to round the Cape of Good Hope, and he makes a pledge to God. And the story goes that the devil overheard it, and the devil took his soul and said he was bound to wander the earth forever until he found a woman who would love him. Yeah, the the story developed in in layers over time. Mm -hmm. The original story was something that there was, this ghost ship. And over time... The ghost ship attached itself to the thought of the sailor trying to get around the Cape and selling his soul to the devil. And then the concept was introduced that it was a pirate ship. And then the concept was introduced in the work that Wagner is actually working directly from, that the, every seven years, the ship would come ashore and the Dutchman would have the opportunity to find a woman to love him faithfully which would break the curse. With the emphasis on faithfully. On faithfully. Mm. And doubtless, Wagner was attracted to this because of the of the theme of redemption through the, the love of a woman. Right. Although Wagner acknowledges his immediate source to be actually a satirical take on this. Which is where which is where the, that that concept of the of the woman was introduced for the mm. first time. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Lots of lots of uses of this. Right. The satire being that you can search for millennia for faithful love. Let's meet the Dutchman. Thank you. 
Verdruss wirft mich das Meer ans Land. Stolzer Ozean, von der Brüste hast du mich wieder getrennt. Listening to Opera for Everyone, 
And that was the Dutchman from Richard Wagner's The Flying Dutchman. Bass baritone. Yeah, nice voice. Very difficult role because you have to range from about as low as a bass can go to about as high as a baritone can go. He's doing a nice job. I like it. <laughs> I'm almost wondering, too, given that the, the tenor has, the steersman has, kind of a, a minor role. He appears at the beginning. He's not quite comic relief, but certainly a contrast to the darkness and the foreboding of the ghost ship and the Dutchman. And then you have this like, fabulous figure, traditionally in a black hat and a black cape. You know, it's what called a Spanish dress, peering out of the mist. Yeah. Opera is about soprano and a tenor falling in love and a baritone coming between them. I wonder if this might be a twist on that formula. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. The baritone is, is almost, you know, the bass baritone is almost too interesting to be simply the foil to the love interest. So he's, let's keep track of that. Well, yeah, he's he's the bad boy. Yeah, he's, he's a serious bad boy. Yeah. His ship is filled with pillage. It certainly is. Raids of ships and ghosts. Yeah, yeah that's going to be important, I think. So, I think when we pick this back up, what we're going to hear is the captain and the steersman awaking. Yes. Seeing the ghost ship, calling out to it, and meeting the Dutchman. Today's opera is The Flying Dutchman by Richard Wagner and our ordinary sailors, the captain and his steersman, have just met the Dutchman. He seems a little imposing, but they're willing to accept him as a fellow sailor. And 
he's about to explain his plight. Which is? Well, he says, battered by storms and wicked winds, I have roamed upon the waters. How long it is hard to say. I no longer count the years because it would be impossible for me to name all of the lands that I have. And I long only for one, and I cannot find it, my homeland. Now he gets to the important bit. Please let me stay for a while in your house. He wants friendship. And now he makes it even more compelling for the captain, and the captain is really listening. My ship is richly laden with treasures from every region and zone, and if you act, it will be to your advantage. So he's offering him great riches for a night in his home. Right, and Daland, the captain, is very interested. just want a night's lodging, does he? No, the Dutchman has other things in mind. He wants the captain's daughter. Well, he wants his curse to end, doesn't he? Right, and a woman's faithful love is what he needs. So it's looking like it's going pretty well. The captain is going to get massive riches. He's not going to have to take the risks and the time and the time away from home that a Norwegian sea captain would normally have to take to to make some money. Mm-hmm. He's simply going to get a share of the extraordinary uh, wealth of the ship. In fact, the entire wealth of the ship is being promised to him for his daughter. Mm-hmm. And the steersman, 
is thinking he's going to get some of this just spillage. And <laughs> right. he's ready to retire. He's kind of bored with his job, ready to move on. And the curse is going to be ended. So they're about to sing kind of joyously that it's just, it's just all coming up roses. Yeah, everybody's getting their dream. and Because what could go wrong, really? What could possibly go wrong when there's greed and a curse from the devil involved? Greed, lust, a curse from the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, it's my turn. 
Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. This is The Flying Dutchman by Richard Wagner. I'm your host, Pat Wright. And I'm Greg. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. You're very helpful when trying to understand Wagner. (laughs) He's a tricky one. He's a tricky one. We're approaching the end of Act One. Yes. Which is usually when I I comment on your outfit. Yes. I would have expected for... Wagner, for you to be wearing the opera helmet. Pirate! But in fact, you've, you're wearing a pirate hat. Huh? Well, you know, it's a pirate show. <laughs> and I always get these terms confused. Is that a, a, a corset or a bustier or, um, I, it, you or know, a enough, bodice? Enough, enough. This is the radio. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> are those Please. pantaloons? And I love the boots. Thank you. The boots are the best part. Can't live in Jackson and not wear boots. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Boots are de rigueur. Back to the show. Back to the show. So, just a, a random, amusing 
staging thing mm -hmm. as the sailors sing their song yes. about bringing a trinket back. That's the their, next song coming to up. To their girl. Yes, the yes. next song coming up. What's the trinket they're bringing back? Oh, yeah. It's not snow globes, is it? No, it's a gold ring. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> For anyone looking forward to Wagner and the ring. It's hilarious, isn't it? It is hilarious. That the, 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 It's a trinket here, and it's the ring that rules them all. And yet it's yeah, associated with water, isn't it? Absolutely. Hmm. No Rhine maidens here, though. It's interesting how people always think that the best works of art are about the end of things, but it's arguable that the best works of art are about the liminal, the boundaries. The liminal? Yes. Please tell us about that word. Well, it's, it's, you know, it means boundary. It means, you know, where things, you know, things touch, you know, in ecosystems, the, the, the most diverse, the, the most interesting part is always where the trees meet the meadow or where the shore you know, meets the waves. Like an estuary. Right. And here, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's Wagner as a young man in the Italian opera tradition. Mm. Uh, not creating an Italian opera, but creating an opera that was sung in London and in the U.S. in Italian for years, with many people accepting it probably you know, in the repertoire as romantic Italian opera in that, in that stream. But at the same time, in many ways, you know, here we do see the development prefigured as going to characterize him as an artist later. We talked about lead motifs before, and yes, he's picking up a lead motif like the curse motif uh, in Rigoletto, but it's so much more repeated. It's so much more structured. There are so many more motifs right. that it's also pointing the way toward where he might be going with this. Right. And this opera is about where the shore touches the land and the incredible importance of that. And it's about where the living touch the dead. That's where I was going to take it yeah if you didn't where death touches life right all of this all right. of this everything in this opera all the ideas all the dramatic action where immortality touches death right everything here is is right on the edge of of a precipice oh yes nice <laughs> nice hook we'll pay that off later <laughs> yes precipice hold on to that everyone all right so shall we hear the the sailors as they I love a good male chorus. Jump onto the shore. All right, let's do it. Meet the pitiful storm of sand and pain. My baby in the
You are listening to Opera for Everyone, and this is Der Fliegende Holländer, The Flying Dutchman by Richard Wagner. This is the end of Act One, and our sailors, the Norwegian sailors, are coming home, and they're bringing gifts for their sweeties. I don't know if it's a traditional Norwegian drink or not, but we always recommend something to drink during the broadcast. We do. <laughs> and this would be the right time to make a banana daiquiri. I'm sorry, banana? A banana daiquiri. Daiquiri. Yeah. I don't follow. It's my favorite rum drink. Yo-ho. Yeah. Arg. Arg? Arg. Hey, just try that again. Arg. Arg. <laughs> All right. Set us up for act two, please. So one of the conventions of Opera for Everyone, besides commenting on your costume and suggesting a drink, Uh is we have a Homeric reference. Homeric reference. Yes, we do. Every every week, a Homeric reference. Well, at least when you're here, we we fall short some of the other weeks. So what do the women do while the men are away at sea? They fight off the suitors. They spin. They spin. They weave. They weave and spin. Mm. And so we're now going to join the women, and they're going to be weaving and spinning. With why are they spinning weaving? wheels. And why are they weaving and spinning? Because somebody's got to do it. Because it's the traditional way in stories that sexual tension is sublimated. No. Yes. yes. No. Yes. Blowing yes. my mind. <laughs> So let's think about that as we listen to them spin.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and that was the spinning chorus from the beginning of Act Two of The Flying Dutchman by Richard Wagner. And Greg is joining me here. I'm your host, Pat Wright. And Greg, I really like that song. What does that say about me? It says you should probably take up knitting. Mm, I'm not sure what you mean by that. (laughs) 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 I really like that song. And it really does convey the sense of the spinning wheel. The hum and the buzz. Absolutely. It's, it's completely onomatopoetic. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, it's good. It's very good. And they're, they're, and they are actually singing about waiting for the men. They are not aware that the men are about to dock. Right. And they're, um, they're all in accord, these women, except there's one who's not quite like the others. Senta. Senta. Senta is not spinning. Senta is dreamily staring at a portrait on the wall. Yes. She's like a fangirl. That's right. It's like that picture of Brie Larson I have over my couch. Just like that. Just like that. Can't so get anything done. Can't get anything done. So she's she's staring at the portrait and she's wistful and in love with this picture. Yeah. And it's a picture of a pale man in dark dressed clothing. in a cape. And a black hat. Yeah. Yeah. And Mary, her nurse, says, you naughty child. You need to stop doing that. You need to start spinning like the other girls. That's right. But she's not, she's not listening to the nurse. She even has a sweetheart. Yes, Eric. Eric. Who's a tenor. So you'd think he would be... Perfect for her. Because yeah. she's a soprano. Yeah. We'd think it would be done. Right? Tenor, soprano. But there's something about her. Let's listen to her... Sing about the Flying Dutchman, and let's contrast this song to the spinning song we just heard. Tut das Leben, du kannst nicht schauen, denn du tust das Leben. 
Ich bin You are listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. We air Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, where you can find a rich trove of past episodes. I'm your host today, Pat Wright, joined by special guest co-host Greg. Stay with us. The second half of today's show is coming right up. the second half of Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. Today's opera is Der Fliegende Holländer, The Flying Dutchman by Richard Wagner. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and today I'm joined by... Greg. Greg, who is helping us with Wagner. Thanks so much, Greg. Is it time for the opera helmet quiz? It is time for the opera helmet quiz. So who's going to wear the pirate hat for this? <laughs> I guess that's me, isn't All it? Right. You so seem put, to be... So you got the pirate hat on, so, so tell us what's happened so far. Arg. All right, well, we opened the scene with a fabulous overture depicting a storm at sea. And the first people we see are the captain and his steersman. They are Norwegians, and they are not lost at sea, but they are weathering the storm. And the captain knows that it's a bit of a storm, but he decides to take a nap and leave his sleepy steersman on watch. His sleepy steersman sings a little song and puts himself to sleep. And of course, that's when the trouble happens. The ship, the phantom ship with the blood red sails appears. And the blood red sails emerges Dutchman himself. And he lets us know all about himself, about how he's been cursed to roam the seas eternally. But every seven years, he's given a chance to find redemption, salvation, perhaps, but only if on that one night on land, he can find true love with a woman who will be faithful unto him until death. Hasn't gone too well so far, though. So he's not really counting on it, but he remains hopeful. That was great. Thank you. I'm not done. There's more. There's more? Okay. There's more. (laughs) There's more that's happened. He recedes into the mist. The captain wakes up. He shakes awake his steersman. And the steersman says, "Uh, yeah, it's all good, captain. He says, but there's a ship there. And they try to rouse the crew. And the crew doesn't really answer. Because, of course, it's manned by, by ghosts. Ultimately, they do rouse the Dutchman who speaks to them, and the Dutchman realizes, ooh, maybe I can make some headway with these guys. It's my seven-year term is up. Hey, guys, I got a lot of gold on my ship. Does one of you have a daughter? Captain says, well, (laughs) 
As a matter of fact, I do. Tell me more about that gold. One thing leads to another, the storm abates, and the captain says, yeah, I'd love you to meet my daughter. I love all that gold, and I'm sure she'd love to be your wife. Yeah, I think we can work this out. They sing a fabulous song. They decide to work it all out, and as they're all heading into town, and oh, by the way, we have we end the act with all of the guys on the Norwegian ship talking about returning to their sweeties with their, with their trinkets that they've brought home the golden rings and we turn our attention in the beginning of act two to the women awaiting their men as they spin on their spinning wheels and there's one woman who's not quite like all the rest and that's Senta naturally the captain's daughter and as luck would have it she's mooning over a portrait of the very same man that her father has promised it's fate, hmm? it's fate. well as luck would have it fate has matched them up, but she has already given her heart to this picture of that man. That was really well done. Well, you did a lovely job, so yay us. (laughs) This is why it's opera for everyone. And both the captain and the ship are called the Flying Dutchman. Is that metonymy, or is that just another coincidence? Well, I think their fates are linked. Yeah. So, what happens next? You're asking me? I just told you what did happen. I think you can take us forward. So in a moment, we're going to hear Senta sing a ballad about the Flying Dutchman, which will give us the full background on the curse and the story and her love for him. That's great, because we've heard him tell his version, and now we get her version. Yes.
was Santa and the Flying Dutchman. A little what bit of you? crazy eyes there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are two ways to portray her. Right. Um, you can simply portray her with crazy eyes. Yes. Which makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Or? Or you can portray her as a woman in a closed society, essentially waiting for her father's will for her. Very few options, very few outlets, very little to dream about, very little to look forward to. And in the romance of this portrait, she can imagine herself on the wild seas. Right. But she has sort of a fantasy world in her head as she looks at this portrait of this dark stranger with the mysterious background. You can actually stage this so that it's all the steersman's dream when he falls asleep. Ah. And you can also stage it so that it's all her dream. Fun. This is what she's, the, 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 the opera is what she's thinking as she's looking into the portrait. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't you, you recently did an opera where it was staged so that it all occurred in the heroine's mind, right? Well, are you talking about La Traviata? Yes. La Traviata is, it's in remembrance in a way because it opens, the, the overture is really the funeral of Violetta. And then everything else is the remembrance, if, if that's a possibility for someone who's passed away, is the remembrance of the, of the life that preceded that. So my favorite part is coming up in any romance, the meet-cute. The meet-cute. Can I say something, though, before, since you brought up Spongebob yes. and other, you know, the Black Pearl and other references, I had a cultural reference that popped into my head when I was reading that I hadn't even seen the opera in any fashion but when I was reading this and her staring at the portrait and the the fact that she's got this Eric hometown boy who likes her but like he's kind of boring and the fact that she's looking at this and he's really poor and he's poor and he's just there and he likes her and it's just too easy and the families know each other and all that and then there's this sort of superstar that she's looking at and by the way she does name him she knows that he's the Flying Dutchman. He's he's a known thing, and they all know it. But he's just like unattainable, because well, in a sea town, everyone would know about the Flying Dutchman. Right. Do you know what it made me think of? What? Bye bye, birdie. Doesn't it make you think of that exactly? Yes. Totally. Yes. I've never heard "Bye bye, birdie" credit the Flying Dutchman, but I think they should. I think they should too. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, that's all I wanted to say. So I think it's time for the, is it time for the meet cute? The meet cute. Could you just simply explain that phrase? That's where the lovers meet for the first time. And it's interesting here for a couple of reasons. One is that while they're meeting for the first time, they've known each other forever because she's been thinking about him and staring into his portrait. And he's been thinking about redemption and the woman who will finally save him. We are going to skip the song between Eric and Senta, where okay. he says, you should really love me, even though I'm poor and boring. Poor Eric. She ignores him. We ignore him. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to skip that. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, the guy's just wallowing. And <laughs> we'll also skip the part where the father says, look who I brought home. Let's just, let's just go right to the good part. Which is interesting because mm. you would expect her to sing, oh, the man I've been dreaming about. And you would yes. expect him to sing, oh, the woman I've been dreaming about. Yes. But instead, it's just music. There are no words. 
Oh. Wagner, who, as you said, is now thinking of himself as a great poet, just does this with the music. And in the music, we hear some of the themes of redemption and of the captain and of the ship that we've been hearing as we go through this. So let's let's listen to that extraordinary, power, powerful music and think about how the singers as actors can portray in silence just with meaningful stares and maybe some nostril flares uh, <laughs> how deeply in love they are. So there are a couple of ways to interpret what's happening now. Do you think they actually stare at each other for a few moments in silence? Or do you think that they're so overwhelmed that the instant that they look at each other in silence seems like a long time in their minds? I think they do look at each other in silence, but I think their heads are full of thoughts and ideas. So you think that the next song, his to her and hers to him, are not words spoken aloud, but thoughts they're having internally. Right, and I don't even think it's his to her and hers to him. I think it's his to him and hers to her. And what's he saying to himself? Well, he says, as if from lost times in the distant past, this girl's expression speaks to me. That which I've dreamed of through anxious ages I now see before my eyes. Often full of longing have I lifted my eyes late at night longing for a wife. Alas, Satan's treachery left me but a pounding heart to remind me of my torment. The dull glow that I feel burning here. Can I who am desolate call it love? Ah, No, it is the yearning for salvation. Would that though such an angel it were mine. And she says to herself, I believe, in her own mind, he's not hearing this, have I drifted into a wonderful dream? What I see, is it only an illusion? Have I lived till now in some delusional world? Crazy eyes. Sorry, that was my commentary. (laughs) Is it my day of awakening about to dawn? He stands before me. She wouldn't say that to him, right? He stands before me. 
with careworn face. He speaks to me of his outrageous grief. Can deepest pity's voice deceive? As I have often seen him, where he stands, the pain that burns within my breast. Ah, such longing, how can I describe it? That which you would desire so much, redemption. Would it were yours, poor soul, through me. Like when he says pounding heart, because, of course, the kettle drums are heartbeats. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. The loudest thing in the room boom, boom. are their heartbeats and their thoughts. Yeah. Let's listen to that song.
are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. This is The Flying Dutchman by Richard Wagner. We are in the second act of a three-act romantic opera. And that was the Dutchman and Senta thinking to themselves, talking to themselves. And now they're about to finally speak to one another. And the Dutchman is going to say to Senta, do you agree with your father's decision? Tell me, can you, can you hold to your father's promise? Could you give yourself to me forever and pledge your hand to a stranger? Shall I find after a life full of torment my long sought after peace in your true heart? Which one lover could say to another? But it has special meaning here because of course, that promise would be his redemption from hell. Absolutely. And he can hardly believe his ears when she, without hesitation, says yes, because that's what she's been longing to do, give herself. She, when she was looking at that portrait in the room where all the girls were spinning, and she wasn't doing any spinning, she was longing to sacrifice herself for this sad, sad man that she saw in the picture. And he says, what, with no reservations? Can you be touched so deeply by my suffering? And she says, oh, I long to end your suffering. And he calls her an angel. And that that phrase, you're an angel, angel, comes up over and over again. There There should be a word for this moment in an opera where everything is basically wrapped up, where you could just end the thing with maybe one or two quick songs and everyone could go home. But it's not over. Because I think a two-hour opera would have a lot more fans than a four, four-and-a-half-hour opera. <laughs> but you're talking about Wagner here. And is this where we should point out that yes. while this is three acts, which yes. gives you two opportunities for intermissions and mm-hmm. champagne sales and the like, the concession stand, mm-hmm. Wagner liked to just run it all the way through. Wagner just thought two and a half hours, anyone should be able to sit still for that long. <laughs> when they did it in 1901 you know, to be as true as possible to his wishes, They made the audience sit through the whole thing. Well, it premiered in 1843, but yes. But 1901 was when they they had a Beirut production where they made them sit all the way through. Ah. And it was Cosimo. Oh, well, and for those of you who don't know, that's his, the widow who survived him and saw the Bayreuth Festival through for many years. Many years. So the only loose end really is Eric and as the only guy who seems to have a job in the port with the 40 women in the chorus, you would think he could find a girlfriend? <laughs> I know that is. He but... is. He's poor, but he's a hunter, so there's always going to be meat on the table. Right, and the guys at sea, their return is not a sure thing. The return is not a sure thing, and he is the embodiment of traditional masculinity. A he hunter. is a tenor. He is a hunter. He is... And he's there. And he's not damned. And he's a sweetie pie. Yeah. So there are, he has some things going for him. So you would think you could you could end it here and you could have a dual wedding with the Dutchman and Senta and Eric and anyone really from the chorus. Right. You uh, but With no. the father beaming in the corner mm-hmm. and the curse being lifted and the skies 
becoming bright blue. The first time in this entire opera when there's been any this lights on the stage. This is not an opera, a comedy. This is not a comedy. <laughs> Just not. But that's not going to happen, is it? No. 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 All right. So what is going to happen? Well, we do have a little tiny bit of comic relief here when the father just can't hold it any longer. Because the father, before we have this scene where the two of them are left alone to stare at each other for an uncomfortably long period of time, the father's like, okay, I'll leave you two kids alone. And they just stare at each other. The father, of course, we think is listening at the keyhole. Yes. The whole time. And he bursts in. And he bursts in. He's like, at exactly the moment where they've all agreed to, to go forward. At, yeah, exactly the right time. He's like, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't wait any longer. Well, he's saying that it's time for the feast, that everyone wants to come into his home for the feast. Right. Right. And that is what's going to end the second act. Yes. <laughs> musical interlude you're listening closely you may have heard some scenery being moved backstage (laughs) gotta get ready for act three act three opens we're in the harbor we see the ships one dark silent and one with a celebration of the sailors who have returned home drinking and singing let's hear their song (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. 
don't know about you, but that's what I'm going to be humming as I leave the broadcast studio today. Really? Yes. Hmm. The sailors are life force. They're in contrast to the ghost ship. They are in stark contrast to the ghost ship. And they're keenly aware of it, too. Now the women arrive? Yes. A little odd that the men have docked at their home port after years at sea, having just survived the day before a terrible storm. And You're clearly not a woman if you think this is odd. They don't jump off the boat to go see the women. They're just on the boat celebrating. They're giving the women time to put on mascara? What's going on? Yeah. The women aren't rushing down because they need to, you know, comb their hair. They've been working on their spinning looms, and they need to, you know. So the men are basically killing time while the women go through. Yeah, because they surprised them once, and it wasn't what they were imagining. The women need a couple minutes. All right. So the women are the women are taking a few minutes. The men (laughs) are carousing on the ship. The women show up with baskets, looking good, with baskets of food, Mm -hmm. and. The women are offering this, the food and the drink to the sailors, mm-hmm. but they're also uh, intrigued by the ghost ship. Yes. So they're also trying to get the sailors off the ghost ship to join the party. Because they're thinking, hey guys, you want to come to shore also, have some fun. And because the th- one of the underlying themes of this is the faithfulness of women, yeah. their own men have just returned home and they're already flirting with the ghost ship. Yeah. Well, not everybody's matched up. Yeah. So now... What we should do, this is really dueling choruses. We had, the, we had the sailors chorus. Yes. Now let's have the women jump in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we know what's coming is that at some point the ghost ship chorus is going to jump in. But that's later. For right now, let's have the women jump in and offer the sailors their baskets and their drinks.
listening to Ricardo Wagner's The Flying Dutchman. And what was that interchange between the sailors and the women of the town? Well, the women have waited for a long time for their men to come back, and they're ready for a good time. And, well, bonus, there's another ship full of sailors there. But those sailors seem a little reticent. There's some delicious irony here, isn't there? What did they say to explain why, in a chiding fashion, why the other ships <laughs> not responding? Well, the first thing, it's actually the steersman who first says it. He turns to the women and says, Oh, take some to those poor devils. They must be dead with thirst. Dead with thirst. Poor devils. Mm. And they don't answer. They don't answer. And the sailor says, oh, They truly are dead. They have no need of food or drink. The women are still ready for fun. And they say, hey, sailors, are you already at rest in your place? Come on down. It's time for a feast. And the sailors who are getting a little annoyed say, they're like dragons guarding their treasure. And how much treasure do they have on that ship? Well, you know, they've got boatloads of treasure. (laughs) And the girls say, hey, sailors, don't you want some cool wine? You must be thirsty. And the, sail- the Norwegian sailors say they don't drink, they don't sing, they don't even have lights burning on their ship. These are not normal guys. And the girls say, sailors, don't you have any sweethearts back where your land is? Don't you want to dance with us on this pleasant shore? And then sailors say, I, I kind of see them. They're old and they're pale. They're not ruddy. It's getting a little weird at this point. But the girls are still pretty flirty with them. And they say, wake up, guys. Wake up. And the girls are like, wait, you might be right. They seem kind of kind of dead, these guys. And the sailors, the Norwegian sailors, say, do you know about the Flying Dutchman? So now we get another quick rendition of the Flying Dutchman. The girls say, don't waken the crew, they are ghosts. How many centuries have you been at sea? Storms and rocks can do you no harm. And the girls notice, yeah, there are no lights burning on their ship. Have you no letters, no messages? We will deliver them. We will deliver them to our great, great grandpapas. They're old and they're pale. So they're beginning to put the pieces together because this is not some myth out of fairy tale land. These are seafaring people. They believe in the reality of the Flying Dutchman and the Flying Dutchman ship. So the girls scurry away. You girls, let the dead rest. Let us, the living, enjoy ourselves. That's what the sailors say. A blue light glows on the ghost ship. It starts to come to life. And the ghost sailors begin to sing.
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. So the ghost sailors were singing that the maiden has pledged herself to our captain, but our captain is unlucky in love, and she will leave him. And the Norwegian sailors have tried to drown them out with their voices, but eventually the Norwegian sailors become afeared, cross themselves, and run below decks. The storm has been raging around the ghost ship while the rest of the port is calm. And as they run below deck, all is calm in the sea. Now the scene changes, and we see Eric making one last plea to Santa. Poor Eric. Poor Eric. Our huntsman, who is desperately in love with Santa. Yes. But she's not... But... Just not into him. And he's not following the primary dictate of dating, which is don't date crazy people. Right. (laughs) It's true. It's true. She's given her heart to this, this phantom, this flying Dutchman. So let's listen to Eric as he tries one last time to win her back. to opera for everyone. We're listening to Richard Wagner's The Flying Dutchman 
And we're nearing the end of Act 3. So Eric has tried to, to win her back by reminding her of their good times together and of the moment where she clasped his hand, which he took as a vow of eternal togetherness. Yeah. So this is not going to be happy for Eric. And guess who overhears that last statement? Uh, the other guy who thought she'd pledged eternal love to him? The one who will... The one whose very salvation depends on it? Yes. Yes. The and flying Dutchman. If we haven't figured this out before, mm-hmm. uh, this is probably when we realize that she's not the first woman who's pledged herself to him. And he's been burned before. All the other ones, then when they were unfaithful, were damned forever. So not only is he damned, part of his damnation is that every woman who love has fallen in love with him has by virtue of that also become damned. So when he realizes that she has a fickle heart, that she has pledged herself to Eric, now she's pledging herself to him. Yes. And he's thinking about whether or not he's also going to be her ruin. He's making a decision to return to the sea. Stakes are high. Yes. Let's listen to his song where he is realizing that salvation is lost and he's renouncing even the search for salvation. This is Felorin, ach, Felorin, lost, ach, lost, salvation, lost forever. Lande, 
So this is when we call the lawyers in for a little bit of clarification. The lawyers? The lawyers. Okay. So the way the curse works, because she has pledged her faith to him, but has not done so before God, if he can get away from her, which is why he's racing to the ship, the sails are being unfurled, and the ship is immediately departing, just in a rush, flying away as it does, then she will be saved. But if she loves him forever, till the end of her life, faithfully, then he will be saved. And so she races to the top of the cliff. The precipice. The precipice. They're both sacrificing themselves for the love of the other. Right. So that she won't be damned, he is willing to wait until Judgment Day. And so that he won't be damned, she is willing to kill herself. So it's a nail-biter who gets there first. And with that, she swears her love to him and hurls herself off the cliff into the sea. She wins the race. A giant whirlpool emerges. The ghost ship goes down. And the last thing we see is the Dutchman and Santa holding hands, ascending into heaven. Well, I just got tingles up my spine. Let's listen.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I've been your host, Pat Wright, joined today by special guest host, Greg. If you've enjoyed our show and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and tune in again next week, 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time, 89.1 KHOL, Jackson, Wyoming. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable, because we believe opera is for everyone.